0: Welcome to a special edition of the In the Money Players podcast. Busy week around here as we kick off October. And today it is our Keeneland Fall Meet preview show. We've got two guests you're going to want to hear from, starting with a guy doing double duty this week. Actually, both these guests are doing double duty this week, but in opposite directions. First guest, Mike Maloney, professional player out of Lexington, Kentucky, um, author of Betting with an Edge. We're going to kick off with him with some of his thoughts on historically successful angles at the Keeneland fall meet, et cetera. He was also on uh, early week doing some recapping with us. And then the second guest, Matt Vagvolge, he's going to be back tomorrow. We're actually doing a live stream. You might want to check out 11 AM. We're going to be doing a live stream about the $71,000 plus Belmont at Aqueduct pick six carryover that's going to be fun today he's going to be talking more about statistical angles that he uses to help him at the Keeneland fall meet as well as his thoughts in general and we're going to start the show right after this word from our sponsor the Keeneland fall meet gets started on Friday get in on the action and wager with Keeneland select new accounts receive a special $100 back after you wager 200 on Keeneland racing this October Wager a total of 300 in the first 30 days and earn another $100 back with the standard sign-up bonus. Sign up at KeenelandSelect.com. Keeneland Select, mobile betting that gives back. It wouldn't be a Keeneland meet preview show if we didn't reach out to our friend, who you heard earlier this week recapping races from last weekend and looking ahead to the Breeders' Cup Classic from Lexington, Kentucky, the author of betting with an edge Mike Maloney Mike how are things
1: everything's good Pete
0: thank you for doing double duty this week and uh, <laughs> I'm very curious to get your thoughts about this upcoming Keeneland meet with the Breeders Cup coming to Keeneland especially it's a meet that a lot of horse players eyes are going to be on even more than usual I think it's fair to say
1: absolutely everybody uh everybody in Lexington's cranked up and uh I'm looking out my window this morning this is uh Monday morning that we're that we're recording and it's sixty degrees, it's crisp and sunny, and the leaves are starting to turn, and man, it looks like Keeneland out there today.
0: <laughs> Fantastic. Looking forward to the meet very much. I know it's an important part of your horse playing year. When I talk to you about handicapping angles that come into play at the Keeneland fall meet historically for you. Is there anything that leaps to mind, especially things that might be a little bit different than what folks expect from the spring meet?
1: You know, uh, not really, Pete. It's pretty much uh, what you what you hear from me on a regular basis. It's, uh, you know, being a short meet. It's, uh, you know, it's important to identify the hot, players you know the hot jocks and the hot trainers and to do it as as quickly as possible also important to determine who's having an offbeat um you know that those it seems simple but that's a critical part of the of the process of paint of playing kingland for me is just okay i need to know who's on form and who's off form and you know that's that's not just the horses. That's the other, uh, factors involved. Um, as far as, as the way that, you know, the track plays, it's less and less bias at Kingland as, you know, as, as time goes on, it seems like, uh, the, uh, the track supers are are able to, to, uh, get a lot of it out of there when we do have, uh, bias days, it, it tends to be inside on the dirt, and, um, and you know, so I'm always trying to be aware of that. But uh, it's not like the old days; uh, uh, you, you can't depend on that bias. Uh, the turf course, it's been it's been really dry the last few weeks in Lexington, so uh, a good chance the turf course could be tight. And uh, I I always look for that to help speed to some degree when we get a real tight turf course. So I'll start the meet with that thought in mind and then adjust as I see the results.
0: To go back to that idea of hot and cold connections, do you find historically any ability to predict that coming into the meet from how jockeys and trainers have been doing wherever they were prior to Keeneland, or is it something that really only emerges for you once that gate pops for race one on opening day?
1: I'll try to have a little idea, you know, of of who's consistently been good at Keeneland or, or even who's, you know, consistently had issues, but um, Gaff Leon has, established himself as, uh, you know, the go-to rider in, in Kentucky. So, uh, I would be shocked if he doesn't have a strong Keeneland meat, but I don't know how much, you know, good that's going to do you at the windows. He's going to be bet accordingly, but it, it still helps in, uh, if you're, you know, if you're someone that plays the, the, similar to the style that I play where I'm looking to key horses, not just in horizontals, but uh, more importantly to me in verticals sometimes. And uh, just a good, consistent on-form rider, even if he's catching money, it's it's valuable to have someone that you can lean on and that you uh,
0: have a higher
1: trust level maybe than some of the other riders at the beginning of the meet.
0: Has it gotten to that Pat Day point with Gaffleon yet and the public in Kentucky, where was it buyer who famously said they'd bet a mule that, uh, that Pat Day was on?
1: Yeah, I mean, that was, I lived through those days. Um, it, first of all, no, it hasn't gotten to that point yet, but, and, and, you know, it would take a, uh, if Gafleon does this for 10 more years, then maybe it'll get to that point. But, uh, I'll tell you a quick story about, about Pat Day and, and getting bet if if you'd like. Please. Uh, when I was a young man and Pat Day was in his heyday, um, I was, you know, nobody other than my little circle of friends knew who I was at Keeneland. I wasn't connected there or anything. And we stood on the second floor of the of the grandstand by a popcorn stand.
0: <laughs> I was going to ask, was it by the popcorn stand? Exactly. I was remembering.
1: And, and I would, people say, where are you? And I'd say, I'm a popcorn stand on the second floor. And we just hang out. So uh, my dad would bring a lawn chair and uh, he would sit down. The rest of it was just stand, you know, with the form in one hand and a beer in the other. <laughs> so uh, at the beginning of that meet, you know, I'm I was planning like we're talking about today, what I'm gonna do for the meet, and I decided I would Pat Day was so heavily over bet that I would just not use him in any bet in you know, for any amount. And <laughs> yeah, I was gonna lose a lot of races, but the races that I hit, I was gonna hit so big that it wasn't gonna matter. <laughs> so I proudly announced that this was gonna be my approach. And everybody looked at you know said what what number beer is that? (laughs) But I I you know I was bound and determined to do this, and then it got to be kind of an ego pride thing, you know. So I, I you know even when I would beat Pat Day, I would have two out of three in the in the pick three, and then he would beat me in the third leg, and you know. So it it was, uh, you know, and I would leave him out of the exact. And of course, you know, I'd run the big bomb in second to Pat day at three to five and the exact would pay $50 and, and I'm nowhere again. So (laughs) the, the end of the story is I could tell a lot of stories about what they did to me in the first two weeks of the meet. But after about two weeks of the meet, I came in, uh, and took my handkerchief out of my back pocket and waved it as a white flag in front of my friends and and just said, I'm, I'm done. You know, I'm the last week of the meet, I'm going back to the betting day. So that's how tough it was back, back in the day.
0: That's so good. It's funny. It kind of relates to the conversation we had earlier in the week when we were looking forward to the Breeders' Cup Classic and talking about a horse like Life is Good and how you might or might not use him in a race like the Breeders' Cup Classic. That idea of, you know, there are certain things that when you go to that absolute fade point of view, there's some ego that gets involved that can sometimes cloud your common sense. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely.
0: So gaffly own one rider, obviously, who you're looking forward to having a big meet. Are there any other connections, jockeys, or trainers that you're expecting to do one thing or another based on their historical performance at the Keeneland Fall Meet?
1: um Rusty Arnold is. I, I like the way his horses have been running in the short meet at at uh, Churchill. uh So I'm I'm going to keep a close eye on him, I mean, he's an excellent trainer anyway, and. Uh, it it just seems like his barn is, is in form right now. Um, uh, Brendan Walsh, I think is, uh, you know, his horses just seem to be very, very consistent and, and, and run very well. So, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll keep an eye. And he's a guy that doesn't still doesn't get bet. Like he, like he should get bet. Um, and, uh, you know, Brad Cox, it, it would seem like that would be the wrong direction to go, but, uh, you know, from a price standpoint, but he's so consistent in, you know, in certain areas that uh, I, I, you know, I like it when I like a, a Brad Cox horse at Keeneland because I just have confidence that they're going to run their race, even though I'll take a, a little shorter price than, than I would like sometimes.
0: Sounds like you're more willing, I think, than a lot of so-called wise guys to pay that premium to get the the name brand uh, connection because of the confidence that they give you.
1: Yeah, but, you know, you need a little, um, at least just speaking for myself, I, I need as much stability as I can find in my keys, you know, I'm, especially when I'm talking about vertical keys, because If a guy gives you a bad ride, it doesn't matter how right you were about the 20 to one shots you were trying to run in the number. If the three to one shot that you were keen to be first or second gets trapped on the rail and doesn't get out and runs fourth and, and he goes on the watch list and you know, you were right about the horse, you still lost your money. So it's very important to me in those situations that, you know, that I get a good, uh, competent, consistent, I don't need, you know, I don't need you to be Pat Day or Eddie Arcaro or or the MIG. I just need you to stay out of trouble and let the horse do what he's going to do. You know, you don't have to move him up. Just don't, don't stop him and eliminate.
0: Any other angles you're particularly looking forward to paying attention to at this meet or races you're looking forward to when it comes to Keeneland Fall? You know the I I
1: normally don't look ahead to races that much, but I just saw something in online, you know, a day or two ago about about the Breeders' Futurity, and and it's going to be interesting to me. The Cave Rock and and Forte and and even the Prairie Meadows horse. I want you know I want to see him.
0: Tyler's Uh,
1: uh, uh, Tyler's tribe. I think
0: that's that's
1: it. Yeah, I watched the Prairie Meadows race the other night where he stayed undefeated and and never got out of a common gallop. And, and I'm not saying he's, you know, playable in there. I'm just curious. I'm always curious to, to see a horse like that and, and just, uh, evaluate him. And then, uh, you know, maybe, maybe that's not his, the running long is not his thing. And, and then, uh, you know, he comes back in a, in a sprint race and, and, and a little of the shines worn off of him and, uh, you know maybe you can make a bet on
0: what is your opinion in general of breeder's cup at keeneland do you does it uh, do you look forward to it extra is it the same for you does it does it change the situation at all it's a
1: it's a little better for me because i'm just looking at from a a gambling standpoint and you know i have a lot of confidence in my abilities at keeneland so if they're going to bring the world to me to my home (laughs) track i you know, I've, I've, I've got to like that situation doesn't mean I'm going to win, but I like my chances.
0: <laughs> and how have you adjusted? I know you've been playing more from from your home office. Has that made life? I would imagine it must make life a little bit easier from a gambling point of view. And just in terms of, you have so many fewer people around myself included who you have to entertain during the day.
1: You, you know, it, it's made life a, a lot simpler. Uh, it It, you know, it, turns me I have to be careful not to turn into a complete hermit but uh it it's uh you know I don't want to do the Howard Hughes thing, thing <laughs> that's a bad gig especially without the money uh so uh yeah it's it's easier and 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 I really do enjoy it because what I do is so much uh of kind of a competition with myself and uh it's um uh, you know and and I get a lot of um uh, uh, you know I get a lot of competitive juices uh satisfied out of you know how I do versus myself really you know how I don't have a lot of excuses sitting here you know usually by myself in in an office, so um it's it's basically um you know, no one to blame but me. So uh, it, it's it, it's it's enjoyable to me in 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 that regard. Uh, uh, I, I, I you know I, I like the 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 process of of uh, even though it gets harder every year to be a professional horse player, and everyone says that about almost every profession. But I think it's especially true in trying to gamble on horses for a living, um, that, that it has gotten harder. And I, you know, I, 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 kind of enjoy the, the challenge of it and, um, uh, uh, it, 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 um, it really, you know, you can just get as, as focused and as, as serious as, as you want to be. And, uh, uh it, it, it's, it's different than being at the track every day but it has it has its own uh, benefits
0: makes sense to me one wagering thing i was looking to maybe play around with at this keeneland fall meet is to try to take advantage of the penny breakage and especially days where there's going to be a lot of public money as it were opening saturday you know fall stars weekend etc um doing the place and show parlays that you've talked about that you do from time to time on on big days is that Something that you might be bringing back into the repertoire for Keeneland Fall.
1: I should have mentioned that, Pete. That you're exactly right. I, I think th- this is a that that's a great situation opening weekend uh, to to play. Especially, I like to play the show pools. Um, that's something I usually do on Fall Stars weekend anyway. In the past, even with the the breakage situation that was unfavorable for the players. Now that we're working with penny breakage, it's, it really is a, uh, you know, a good opportunity if you, when you're dealing with stakes horses and you're dealing with penny breakage, um, I, I you know, I love taking a, a chance with a show parlay in, in that situation. And and the, when I do show it, you know, I'm, I just lean to the parlays. It just, uh, I guess I'm a, um, uh, I'm used to enough uh return on investment uh on on at least theoretically on my wagers that uh it it's more enticing to me to say you know I'll put a hundred dollar show parlay at the beginning of the day or at the beginning of the weekend and you know try to run it through and and it it um it, it's 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 doable when uh you know if you can have a little luck on your side and your handicapping's good. And it takes a little of the sting out of those days and out of those weekends where it seems like everything that you like that that was the right price runs second or runs third and then just uh, continually gets beat. The, you know, the show parlay can take a little sting out of that.
0: Typically, and obviously it varies day to day, but typically when you're looking to do that at the beginning of a weekend, how many times are you, are you running it? I mean, how many of the races would you play the parlay through?
1: It'll vary. It'll vary. But over the, over the course of a, of the three day opening weekend, um, I, you know, I would guess I I'd probably find, uh, eight to 10 plays maybe.
0: Okay. And leaning towards stakes races. And I'm guessing you're leaning towards stakes races because you feel like those horses can be trusted more and more consistent in their form.
1: Exactly. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not looking to play a a first time starter or a, uh, you know, I'm, I might play a second time starter in certain rare situations, but probably not much maiden races and, and, you know, not an, a lot of a other thans probably other either, but, uh, the stakes races, horses with established form, uh, you know, I find a horse that I think is moving forward. That's, you know, that's uh, proven commodity. I like the connections. I like the way the race sets up. The pace seems to be right. I think the horses fit and improving and moving in the right directions. The connections look good. Um, you know, those are the type of horses I'm looking for. And, you know, you'd be surprised you, you take $2 and 80 cents, $3, $3 and 40 cents and and you parlay that a few times and it it's surprising you know it, how how that starts to to add up and there's it, been plenty of show parlays that i've cashed over the years where you know i've I've cashed for uh 10 20 times the original amount uh but now you need to You know, you need to catch something that that you like. That's maybe eight or ten to one. That 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 you really have faith in. That's maybe your best play of the day. You need to have you know some horses like that in that mix. But um, when when you do, it it can be a, a profitable bet.
0: From a wagering point of view, anything else that differs for you at this particular meet than what you're typically doing throughout the year.
1: Not a lot, Pete. Uh, it's not like Kentucky Downs where I'm, you know, really trying to, to change up my wagering strategies. At, at Keeneland, I'm just, um, I'm trying to adjust. I'm trying to use all my tools, wagering tools in the toolbox. And, and I'm trying to look at the race and look at the situation and, and uh, you know, how what my handicapping says about the race and then decide what bet, Will best reflect my opinion, um, and and go that direction. I'm not going to, you know, decide on the bet and then try to uh, make force that into the into the race. I've
0: been having a bunch of trainers on lately for these segments sponsored by the the KTDF, and one of the questions I'm always asking them is how, from a trainer point of view, that KTDF money has changed their operation with Kentucky becoming a bit more of a year round circuit than it was in the past. You've been playing Kentucky racing for a long time as a horse player, has the KTDF uh, extra money in these purses changed things at all for you? Or is it basically the same as it ever was? No, it's,
1: it's changed things. Um, It, you know, the, uh, the local year round Kentucky trainers, are are getting um are getting better stock um you know they've always gotten good stock but i I think it's improving uh the thing that that concerns me a little is that you um i i think some of the the as the kentucky racing gets more competitive i think some of the lower level trainers uh that are year round Kentucky trainers have, you know, can struggle sometimes uh, to win anything other than a claiming race. And even, you know, the, the claiming races get tougher too, because you get, you know, you get bigger stables here and you get uh, bigger ownership groups and that are just, maybe they've always raced horses here at certain times of the year, but they're here on a, on a more regular basis. And they're, They're dropping down horses that, um, that are hard to beat, you know, in, even in the claiming races. So, uh, it impacts, it negatively impacts the, some of the smaller stables and the smaller trainers. Uh, so I'm, I'm a little concerned about that part of it, but, um, you know, adjustments, uh, I guess, you know, have to, have to be made. Um, I listened to, um. Uh, overall, you know, it's it's great for Kentucky racing. Um, I, I listened to um, Dale Romans uh, with you the other day, and I thought that was great. Uh, you know, Dale Dale has uh, uh, he's been around Kentucky racing as as long as as long as I have, so uh, it was it was good to hear uh, it was good to hear his his thoughts on things, and and I pretty much agreed with with everything he had to say there.
0: That's another person we need to have on more. You guys might be fun to have on together, actually. Probably, I'm sure your paths have crossed a time or two.
1: Yeah, we, we've met a couple times along the way. And I, I actually claimed a horse from Dale's dad was one of the first horses I ever claimed, Jerry Roms.
0: <laughs> was it a, was it an acrimonious? I know that situation can go... Um... It could go a bunch of different ways. It could be a neutral interaction. It can be a good luck from the previous connections interaction Uh, or or an angry
1: interaction. Jerry Romans was, was a, uh, you know, a a long time, uh, excellent trainer at Churchill. And I, yeah, I wasn't the only guy that ever claimed a horse off of him. He claimed (laughs) plenty himself. So I don't think there were, I don't think there were any feelings that way, but the horse did do really well though. So uh, it was, uh, uh, it was uh, it was a good good moment for me, but uh, they those guys have been around a long time. If anybody uh, if anybody knows how to get it done at Churchill, it's those guys.
0: Dale definitely needs more airtime because he's a great storyteller, but he's also really sharp. And I thought he had some yeah. very insightful things to say about the state of racing. And when you were talking about the changing dynamics in Kentucky, one thing that occurred to me, Mike, is it just it sounds like that's not necessarily a Kentucky specific problem, right? I mean, these are things facing the industry as a whole related to a number of different factors.
1: Yeah. And I, you know, my, uh, I have not employed, you know, back, I don't have any horses now, but when I did, uh, and I, I, had horses for probably 20 years, uh, and mostly lower level, you know, horses I would claim and so forth. Uh, and I was always drawn to. I didn't employ many of the big trainers, uh, although I knew some of them. Uh, I always was drawn to the smaller guy. You know, the the guy that that uh, if he if he got his hands on a good horse, it would really mean something. A lot of those guys, even to get their horse, on, to get their hands on a nice uh, condition allowance horse or even a higher level claiming horse, it was a big deal to them. So even back in those days. And, um, so I have a soft spot, I guess, for, uh, for the hard boot trainer, you know, the, the, the guy that, that just has a few horses that's, that's trying to, that's got a, you know, a, a 15 year old pickup truck and an old beat up trailer. And, and he's trying to make it, you know, uh, it's not an easy gig. And I just hope that, that we can find a way as we, you know, as we move into the new era of Kentucky racing, that we find a way to uh, where those guys have a shot and they're not, you know, the, the only answer is not to send them out of state where they're, Hey, just take your horses and run them at Belterra. Um, You know, I hope we, we, you know, there's still a place for those guys because they're a, you know, that's kind of the minor leagues of racing and, and if you, you know, if those guys aren't around, uh, you don't have the Larry Joneses that that come from nowhere and, and end up being, in my estimation, one of the greatest horsemen of my lifetime.
0: I have two follow-ups on that. They're going in, in different directions. Um, one is, as an owner, when you wanted to employ trainers like that, was there a competitive advantage in it? for you as, as well. I mean, you don't strike me as a guy who'd make a business decision. I understand your sentiment, but you don't strike me as the kind of guy who would make a business decision based on sentiment. I'm wondering if it doesn't get to the idea of wanting to be a talented trainer's main focus, as opposed to being horse number 47 in the barn of a more famous trainer. Yeah.
1: I, th- I think, you know, there's something to that. I, uh, yeah, and, and i but you know I would say there would have been I think more overall benefit for me from the gambling side and the owner owning the horse's side there was probably more benefit to me to going with bigger trainers um it it, it they're really part of it a big part of it really was to me to just uh maybe have a little more control um uh, in in that um uh, and this will sound like, you know, holier than that or something, but it, it was important to me how the horses were, were treated. And when you get in a big stable and the guy really doesn't care, you know, if you're there or not, you, you lose a little of that, uh, of that control and that hands on. If you have a, uh, a, a smaller trainer that it, it, it's, very important they are very happy to have that horse in their farm or to have those three or four horses that you've given them um they are gonna you know you don't have to worry about the care that horse is going to get i mean it's you know they're going to treat it just like they treat their firstborn child Uh, (laughs) you know it's going to be uh you know and 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 that's the kind of people that that i was given these horses to like uh probably my the trainer I had for the longest uh, time uh, was a, a guy named John Langmire. And uh, if you look at John's uh, long-term statistics, even you know, I don't ever remember anyone giving John an expensive horse. Uh, not that I can think of, but um, um, you know, there's a guy that if you look at his, lifetime numbers they're excellent i mean he does very well with with what he's given uh you know i think he does an exceptional job he's an exceptional horseman you know he's married to an outstanding veterinarian uh dr Claire finger and uh i just knew my horses I they that's where i boarded my horses when i was breeding uh you know they fold out the horses that uh that i bred and uh uh, it, You know, I just had utmost confidence that the horses were be, being given the very best care possible by people that were absolute professionals and, uh, you know, excellent horse people.
0: Folks will remember Twilight Eclipse that John Langmeyer picked out and had, I think, for the first part of his career as well. Certainly <laughs> what to do with a good horse, as evidenced by that one. And That's in right. Just to fill
1: that out a little bit, John bought Twilight Eclipse, as I recall, out of the back ring at Kingland uh, for $1,000, which is the lowest bid you can make. Uh, and the horse, I think, went on to win over a million dollars.
0: Oh yeah, he. I'm. I'm almost sure he did. He was around. He was around for a minute and and a very, very good, uh, a very, very good racehorse. See if I can find it. Um. Yeah, we we cheated him a million. He was a two million dollar horse. There you go. (laughs) go. The other question I wanted to ask vis-a-vis some of these more, I don't know what you want to call them, but working class connections. Are you in favor of? More races that are these restricted maidens that we've seen, where a horse can't have sold for over a certain purchase price and can't be a a a homebred, and and you know the the idea of trying to reward people who have to work the sales at these at these lower levels. Do you do you like that idea? Do you think it's good for the business?
1: You know, it seems like it is. I'm generally not in favor of over restricting these races. I think that can get out of control and maybe has in certain instances. Um, and I honestly haven't given that a tremendous amount of thought. I guess I should have, but um, yeah, anything, I think, I think we need to, there needs to be some consideration for, uh, you know, for the, especially when you're making big changes to the, to the purse structure of your state and to the, uh, to, to the way racing is, is, is run in Kentucky. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's a, it's a competitive game. I understand that either you compete or, you know, you're, you're left behind. Uh, I, I, I understand that part. I just, um, you know, it, it, um, I, I feel these people I've been, I know a lot of these people I've been around them. For a long time, and there are a lot of them in Central Kentucky. Uh, trainers that that uh, are actually good horse people. That just because of the, you know, the way that, uh, and I think racing partnerships are, are, you know, where they're so good in so many ways. They contribute to this, you know, mm-hmm. because every, you know, if you're going to be in a horse partnership. Uh, you know the brand I mean, name helps exactly. you want your race you want your horses with Todd and Bob, you know you don't or chad you don't you don't want them with some guy that you barely heard of uh so and, you know I understand that part too, but i, I guess i you know, I'm not saying this is right or that's right. What I'm saying is you know I have a soft spot for for these people because I know most of them do things the right way, and some of them are just outstanding horse people. Um, And I just hope that, that there's a way that, that, that those people are not uh, in racing's uh, uh, in racing terms, sent to Siberia, you know, I I hope they're, I hope they can be part of Kentucky racing because they're a, a great part of the flavor of Kentucky racing. When, when a, when a small guy like that wins, a um, you know, wins a allowance race at, at, at Keeneland or has a first time starter win at Churchill, uh, you you know, you could even, I guess Eric is on the, maybe the cusp of that, but you know, Eric Reed is a, is a little bit of that, you know, he, he, you know, he's, uh, especially recovering from the terrible fire that he had at his barn. Oh yeah. you know, there I'm sure he would tell you that he's had his struggles. Oh, and he's sure, you know, he's not been the beneficiary area of of big syndicates giving him horses over the years. So but what a story for the Kentucky Derby, you know, irregardless if I lost my money in the race. <laughs> uh it, it's a great story. And and it's it's a different story. You know, it, it's a great story when, you know, Peter Bratt Brant and and Chad win, you know, run one two in, a, in the in the Diana, but it's a different great story when uh, a hard boot trainer uh, beats those guys and accomplishes something in racing. Uh, it, it it you know, and I I just don't want us to lose that.
0: Well, hopefully, we're going to be seeing plenty of those stories at this upcoming Keeneland meet. Really appreciate your time. Made you do double duty this week, Mike, and we really appreciate it. And we'll check in with you uh, before the Breeders' Cup at some stage. Godspeed this meet.
1: Thanks, Pete. Good luck to everyone at Kima.
0: Today's show also brought to you by our friends at Racelands. We're happy to be partnered with Racelands and are excited to talk about the two promotions we have going. One for existing customers, one for new customers to Racelands. You can sign up for an unlimited monthly subscription and get the first month for just $1 with the promo code in the money. And if you're already a customer or were in the past, here's a special just for our listeners. Come back and try or extend your plan and enjoy 40% off any unlimited race lens solution promo code for that one in the money 40 to learn more go to in the money slash race lens peter thomas Fornital back with you for the keeneland fall meet preview show and the next guest i bring in as i mentioned before very familiar to the audience around here and a guy we're going to keep very busy during this breeders cup season he is matt bagvolge matt what's going on
2: not much Pete. what's going on with you how you been
0: Things are good. Things are good. I was interested to hear you were staying up uh, late last night playing a little, a little bit of Hong Kong or no, I guess you got up early this morning to play a little Hong Kong cause it's Wednesday. How's, uh, how did that go and how much are you looking forward to this Keeneland fall meet?
2: Ah, uh, it was, uh, so yeah, you're right. It's uh early morning Wednesdays. It is uh late slash early mornings, so- Saturdays into Sundays, depending. Uh, I know they've changed that up a bit with the holidays over there, but, uh, the 1 a.m. shot-ins are tough. <laughs> I'll, I'll be honest with you. Uh, the Wednesday mornings are certainly uh, are certainly doable, and uh, had another uh, another nice morning this morning, Pete. So uh, off to a good start already today. Uh, and uh, yeah, very excited for uh, for Keeneland, uh, especially when you've got the uh, the Breeders' Cup heading to town. Get you some uh, get some good ideas of how the track p- is playing, and uh, get some ideas moving forward. But uh, yeah, always excited for Keeneland, and uh, yeah, dip my toes into some Hong Kong action as well.
0: Here's a question, very specific, and we'll get into more on this, you know, as we get closer to the actual Breeders' Cup. But as somebody who likes to look at, at stats as one of the things, you know, you're a fundamental uh, handicapper horse player as well, but you use the the prism of, of stats to look at a lot of things. This is now the third Breeders' Cup at Keeneland. Will you go back and look at what happened in 15 and 20. And do you think there's any conclusions that can be drawn about what a breeder's cup of Keeneland is going to be like on such a small sample size as those four days of racing?
2: Uh, I think it's worth looking at, and I have all that stuff like documented to look at as well. Um, I don't know how much, you know, substance would be there. I think there's just more of like the broader side of, of how, you know, the, you know, certain tracks are playing, especially if you get, uh, you get, you get some weather that comes in, you know, how off tracks are playing, how, uh, you know, a, a worse off than firm turf is, is playing. Uh, but yeah, I think it's worth looking at. I mean, anything I can find there that would, I feel would give me an edge. I'm certainly going to look at, but uh, I don't know if it would give me, uh, I don't know if it's something that I would be, you know, concentrating on heavily. We'll put it that way. Uh, looking at those past Breeders' Cups.
0: That makes sense to me. One thing I think is interesting about a Keeneland Breeders' Cup is uh, one race in particular is the Philly and Mare turf and, and running at the different distance and how that might affect things. Um, but we'll get into some of the particulars as we go along here. When you were looking over your data prepping for this show, was there anything in particular that stood out to you as something you want to be aware of coming into this meet?
2: Um, I, I think I always like to start, especially coming into a meet. We've done this before, Pete, of of looking at certain run styles, post positions for both, you know, turf and dirt, and then breaking it down, you know, sprints and and, and routes as well. Um, you know, a lot of times you'll find you know not a whole lot there. It kind of kind of even, but that's okay, right? It just kind of tells me that you know maybe a certain running style is is running uh normal and nothing's really jumping out. Um. So I like to start there, look at different post positions and see if there's anything, you know, out of the ordinary that jumps out. Uh, but also, too, I think the progression of it, and, and I've mentioned this, you know, many times before, but on, on, on race Lens, you it, it travels with you, right? So I like to check out those track profiles, so to speak, uh, throughout the meet and see if anything is changing, see if there's any different trends uh, that are coming into play. Also, too, looking at uh, different tracks shipping into Keeneland, um, I think that's that's always something that I've looked at. And again, prior to the meet, we'll, we'll go over uh, you know some tracks, uh, uh, you know some stats with uh, with horses shipping in, um, but also progression. There might be a track that pops up that uh, might be a little bit different than than the prior year or a larger larger sample. So um, that's kind of where I like to start of looking at more on a broader view. And then, as I as I dig a little bit deeper into it, maybe find some more specifics, whether that's you know connections, whether that's you know certain surfaces, distances, that sort of thing, uh, and see if I can uh, you know get an edge before the uh, before the public jumps on it.
0: One thing I remember from past years looking into data at the Keeneland turf is it really surprised me looking at it, but it seemed like there was plenty of days, and even when you looked at it in aggregate. Where the rail was actually not good, which is sort of the opposite of what I think of in typical um, in, in typical turf races, where I feel like often the inside is good. Now I don't know if that has to do with the time of years th- that they run and, and moisture in the ground or what, but I'm curious. When you were looking at your turf race post position data, was there any disadvantage to being drawn on the on the rail or inside in general?
2: Oh, I mean, it's, it's, here's the thing I found. It's, it's not, it's not great. And these horses are getting bet too. So like if if you look, so I, I kind of grouped them up and I looked at post positions. Like if you look at a turf sprint, you know, if you're posted from the rail to post three, um, I mean, it's only an 8% win rate and, you're if you if you bet that every time you're down 44 percent so the percentage as well as obviously the win percentage is telling me not only they're not winning at a high clip but also too uh these horses are getting bet based on the uh based on the roi there as well um you know again it's it's also not great to be uh posted outside right i mean that's kind of obvious when you look at uh turf sprints you know if you're out uh you know posted 10 plus Um, you know, there's not a huge sample for this, but you know, you're, you're still under 10%, you know, you're 9% winners here with a 26% ROI, a negative 26% ROI. So, um, you want to be somewhere in the meat of the field. and, And I think that stalking trip, uh, you know, seems to be best, you know, that, uh, that early presser type, uh, type run style, uh, to me on the data side of things, you know, looks to be the, uh, the best, uh, the best trip, um, you know, you know so th- that's something that kind of jumped out to me there um but uh yeah i mean if if you if you couple that with um you know the, the run styles like i said, you know not necessarily great to be uh beyond the lead at, at first call you know again normal you know 12 12 uh, percent win rate um but uh you, you, you know you just you definitely don't want to have a sustained run style either you know that that coming from way off of it um and showing all your pace late. Um, if you look at sustained run styles and turf sprints, you know, coming from the back, just a 5% win rate in uh, a negative 73% ROI. So wow. kind of on both ends of the spectrum there, Pete, you know, from, from the inside, you know, to the outside in terms of post, but also in terms of run style, you know, to me, it's just, if you, if you group together the, the, that, that presser, early presser type run style, um, you know, stalking the pace is certainly done, done best when it comes to uh, turf sprints, uh, especially uh, specifically.
0: In an ideal world, drawn four through nine and a and a stalker, basically. But of course, that doesn't mean you're not going to bet horses posted down inside if they fit the specifics of the race. To be honest, those outside post numbers aren't that bad to me. 26% obviously worse than the takeout, but not hideous and necessarily a race with 10 runners is going to you know if you were just going by the math you've got a 10 percent chance to win so that that lower win rate there doesn't bother me as much it bothers me a lot more to hear eight percent from the one two and three posts because you know there's plenty of races that only are going to have seven or eight you'd certainly expect that number to be higher so just for me that's just another reason why i would definitely um take just an extra look i'm not not going to use a horse posted one through three but i'm probably not going to want to single my whole day around a a a turf sprint speedster the way I would at another track at Keeneland based on those numbers. How does it change when you're looking at turf routes versus turf sprints?
2: So when you look at, you know, turf routing here, it's it's interesting you know, in terms of run style, right, that, that on the lead at the first call, setting the pace is not where you want to be. Um, pretty big sample size here too. If I went back over five years, you know, we're looking at over a hundred and, you know, almost 170 races total, um, just 7% winners, um, when hitting the lead at the first call with a, with a minus 40% ROI. So again, that kind of tells me there not necessarily being on the front end is, is, is where you, where you want to be. Um, and then, you know, conversely, if you look at, you know, the, you know, coming from off the pace, you know, having a, if, if you can, if you can lay between, you know, three to four lengths off and have a top late pace figure, that's where it really does come into play. And I, and I, and I did run that. Um, you know, if you, if you look at it from that, that stalking position, but also to that uh, if you're looking at a progressive pace angle was what I'll call it, you know, a middle pace, late pace, uh, you know, sustainable rise in those figures um, you know, it, hitting at a, you know, hit, hitting at 32%, uh, which is, which is incredible and, and a positive 58% ROI. So that's something that jumps out to me and just your, your prior comments too, of like, you know, any of this stuff, it's not to blindly toss horses, right? Like not betting the inside or not betting the outside. It comes down to circumstance. But what I like too, though, is if that angle pops up, you know, that in the middle of the state posted, you know, between four and eight, four and nine, and I can see this horse is going to have a, a projected stalking position, maybe a good late pace figure. Just helps me get organized, right? Draws my attention to that horse, and I can put my effort into into looking to see if that horse can fit. So, a lot of these are rough outlines that that draw me into just getting a different idea uh, of different horses to play. So um, so again, it's not not a, not a blind play either way. Stats are, are what they are, right? They just give you an idea, give you a rough outline. Uh, but again, just wanted to throw that out there, that that late pace figure, um, you know, a few lengths off the lead is, is certainly where you want to be uh, routing uh, as well here at Keelan.
0: We should mention that the numbers you're pulling are largely some of it's from your own work, but RaceLens, the product that we always describe you as a power user of, we've got the promo codes. They'll be listed elsewhere in the show if folks want to check it out. But when you're talking about sustained pace and you're talking about how you've run these numbers, a lot of it
2: comes straight out of the RaceLens database, right? That's correct. So everything we're going over today is going to come out of the uh, the RaceLens database, and you can get an idea of, of just how specific you can be, right? And 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 As I have said before, I like to start broad and kind of drill down because you can go through the charts, you can go through the individual races, get a lot of information and just kind of make notes from there of, you know, you're noticing I'm noticing certain things. Let me run that back and see how that works. But, um, yeah, you can be as broad as as the uh, info we're talking about now. You can get, you know, as specific as certain track certain distance trainer jockey rails out a certain you know certain uh a, a amount of feet you can like really get down to to the nitty-gritty on it and that's what i like right you can be as specific but you can also be very general as well
0: let's go into let's continue this vein of conversation about post position and running style we've talked about t- uh, the turf sprints and routes let's move over to the dirt and talk about what trends if any you saw on the keeneland dirt
2: uh, in terms of post position, um, again, I would say very similar to, uh, to the turf of not the, the, the greatest in terms of results uh, being stuck down on the rail. Um, pretty consistent in terms of a, a longer lens look, 12% winners um, over the five-year subset. Um, about the same when you compare it to the last fall meet here uh, at, at Keeneland um you know but posted it's interesting if if you're posted 10 plus yeah the win percentage is about the same with uh 13% but all, you have a flat roi so again i think it's the same idea i just think in terms of the betting i think uh the idea or the initial thought is to to bet horses drawn on the inside and and leaving those uh those horses that are posted um you know 10 plus in this case, they're not going to get a ton of races like that, you know, especially in sprints that are going to be posted there, but you know, it's just something to to consider, you know, when you look at the prices of these horses, they're, they're, they're almost all double digits. So, uh, you know, again, if you like a horse that's posted out there, I certainly would, uh, I certainly would give it, give it a look. Um, you know, in, in terms of like, if you, if you look at it on, on a run style standpoint, um, again, nothing incredible jumping out, you know, being, you know, whether you're, you're, your early or, you know, kind of a stalking trip. It's very, I would say, consistent and even throughout. When um, I look at both actually looking at both uh, sprints and looking at it from uh, a routing perspective as well. Um, it does change a little bit, I would say for both. If you look at it on, on turf um, when, when the track begins to change, right. And that's the, I think that's one thing to pay attention to at Keeneland is as the weather changes, you may want to, take a look and adjust you know uh, accordingly um so you know whether it's a sloppy track whether the track is yielding on on the turf course you know you certainly want to take uh you certainly want to take a look at uh you know maybe some different horses there um just gonna i want to pull there was there was one stat in particular on the uh on on the dirt here um on an off track let me just see if i could pull that up really quick here um yeah i mean so kind of an even you know 13%. If you look at it last fall, you know, 13% from horses that were coming from off the pace, um, you know, once you, once you change, once the track changes a bit, um, you see that number jump. So, you know, horses that were, that are coming from um, coming from off the pace when the track gets some moisture in it is, is where you're starting to see, uh, you know, this, this change a bit and you're, you know, on the sloppy track, it jumps up to over, so 22% winners uh, coming from, you know if you're, you're a sustained run style uh, with a top late pace figure, um, 22% on the win end, but a, but a very nice uh, plus 63% ROI. So just again, I think when looking at how the track changes a bit, I think it changes some of these numbers uh, uh, quite often uh, as well. So that's one thing I noticed with that sloppy track versus the dry track. track Pete, uh, I think uh, you may want to look uh, in a different direction in terms of run style.
0: That's it. Very interesting, and, and something that I don't think people always pay attention to. What else did you see in your numbers as you were uh, prepping for this Keeneland Fall pre me- Fall Meet Preview Show?
2: Um, you know, again, I I think from you know uh, on a on a broader perspective on like post position and um, you know run style, I would say there's nothing incredible that jumps out. I think the things we talked about are probably I would think the most interesting. What I do like to see is progressions as well. So um, like, you know, the the, the presser run style, again, sitting off the pace in dirt routes, you kind of an, a normal win percentage, you know, 11, 12% on, or 12% on the win side. But if you look at it compared to last fall meet, so there was a pretty sizable difference. So it, it jumped to 28% winners uh, with a positive 23% ROI. So again, just something to think about, you know, I I like to look at how these, how these, uh, angles progress. Um, that was one thing that jumped out as compared to the last, uh, fall meet there. Um, you know, I would say anything in terms of that, I think we just, I think we touched on all the stuff in terms of post positions and run style. Um, I did have stuff in terms of, um, you know, Track shippers, if you want to go there, Pete. Of, yeah, uh, that's a great shippers.
0: idea. I love that. And Keeneland, one of those meets that brings together horses from a bunch of different places. So we should definitely take a look.
2: Yeah. So I always like to, uh, you know, to to start off with uh, horses shipping from uh, outside of, of North America. Um you know, again, the, these numbers, these sample sizes are small, but, you know, going back, uh, there's been a, been a few horses that have, that have come over and run on the dirt. Um, not great. Just 11 runners, 13% winners, negative uh, 31% ROI. Uh, the turf obviously gets a bit different. Um, you know, longer lens look, 26% winners uh, on the turf and a positive ROI of 1%. So I think that's significant because a lot of these horses do uh, do get attention. Uh, I will say though, in the last fall meet, they were over on the turf. So that's, you know, again, it's small sample size, but, but something to, uh, to look at for horses coming outside of, of North America. Um, unfortunately don't have anything uh, to compare in terms of Belmont and don't have much in terms of Aqueduct. So that's one that's interesting. <laughs> Usually that was a big sample size with, with Belmont horses coming over to, uh, to Keeneland Pete don't have, uh, don't have that, uh, this year. Um, you know, looking at Santa Anita on the dirt. Um, that's one I always felt like that deeper surface might play well here. Uh nothing, nothing great. You know, looking at uh, 82 uh starts, 14 winners uh on the dirt with a negative 48 ROI. So again, tells me you know, win percentage, you know, decent, but you know, again, you're looking at the ROI there, it's telling me these horses are getting bet uh pretty good here. Um on the turf, it gets worse at Santa Anita. Um, this one I thought was a little bit interesting, uh, out of 94 starters, Pete. Uh, so I'm looking back at this over a five-year period. So 94 starters, Pete, just 9% winners with a negative 52% ROI. Um, so that's, that's something that really jumped out to me as a, as a pretty negative stat, um, uh, coming from Santa Anita, uh, over. To no New surprise.
0: World. we talk about turf form, uh, chipping West so often it makes sense that the corollary would be anti turf form, um, shipping East. Right. So, so yeah, it, I would shot. say it makes,
2: it makes sense. I'm just surprised to see that as a single digit number, you know, usually like what, you know, what you're, what you may think sometimes is not as, as bad or not as good as you think, but, uh, no, that, that, that thought process, it is as bad when you see those uh, horses yeah. shipping in. Um, so the the numbers do line up with, uh, with, with your thought process as well as mine, right? I'm always looking to go elsewhere, uh, with those horses shipping uh, from from the West Coast, um, one I thought that was a little bit different in terms of a change. If you look at it from a broader uh, standpoint, of horses that uh, are are still laid up off the Saratoga meet on the dirt um, over a five year period, pretty good sample size of three hundred sixty one starters. You know, eighteen um, you know, percent winners, good win percentage, but you have a you know negative ROI of thirty percent. But compare that to the last fall meet. Pete, uh, with, uh, with 41 starters, uh, 24% winners and a positive 8% ROI. So that's a bit of a change there on, on the recent one compared to fall over fall meets, uh, last year to this year. Um, and that's on the dirt as well. Um, the, the turf, not great, right? You would, you'd think you'd have some, um, you have some, some really nice horses coming in the last fall meet at Keeneland with horses from Saratoga on the turf shipping in, um, just ten percent winners and a negative negative seventy five percent ROI. So That's interesting, yeah. Drawing a lot of public attention there, and not the uh, not the best win percentage when it comes to uh, turf horses shipping in uh, from Saratoga. I wonder if there's a. I, I mean, I'm just completely spitballing, but like a Kentucky Downs effect
0: that that somehow happens there with some of these New York horses who might be heading the, heading that way for some of that turf racing, or maybe it's a simple as a lot of the new york trainers and and having big names and and public gravitating to them but not having any you know it's not super lot it's except in limited cases it's not super logical for a top new york trainer to point for a race at keeneland other than one of the very big stakes and obviously this is looking at you know allowance races and maidens too it's it's there's something interesting there i'm not quite sure how much i expect it to go forward but uh those are just a few thoughts that popped in my head
2: yeah for sure and and I would say like, uh, let's, let's go to the Kentucky downs one. Cause that's probably the most contested one where I've gotten the most feedback of, you know, Kentucky downs has to do well. It just has to do well at, uh, at Keeneland. And, you know, there's, I would say periods of time where it has done well, but it's been really short. Um, Interesting. What
1: and I, I had a
2: buddy of mine not believe the, 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 the numbers that I gave it was like, run that again. You fat fingered something. I'm like, no, this is it. So <laughs> You know, if you look at it from as as long as they've been running at Kentucky Downs, so I got the full sample size, Pete. Just just more so
0: five full five years, you mean?
2: Yeah. Yep. Yep. Okay. So look at that full sample, um, and you've you've got over seven hundred starts. So I mean, you've you've got you've got quite a few you got quite a few horses in this sample size. Um, you know, just nine percent winners, Pete, in uh, a negative fifty one percent ROI. And you compare it fall meat over fall meat uh, compared to, uh, to last year, um, 11% winners and a negative 55% ROI uh, on the uh, Kentucky Downs uh, uh, shippers coming in.
0: That's interesting. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I thought that, again, because I think the, the, the public sentiment, and this is, again, another reason why I like to look at the number side of it, is that when I hear public sentiment that that strong, I immediately start to run those numbers. Um, just to see if it if it if it correlates, and then I make a note of that because it might be just the, uh, the knee jerk reaction to bet these horses coming in from Kentucky Downs. Yeah, you know, again, you might it uh, might push these horses to be shorter than they should be, and and you might find some value elsewhere. So that's the kind that of how I just last I would
0: year. That. I'm curious to like cut those numbers up a little bit more.
2: Yeah, I mean, you I can progress that a bit more. Um, so but when I, the numbers I have here now are, you know, when you look at it from um, actually, let me see if I can get um, while we're talking, if I can get the last year of of that particular number. Um, It does seem like Kentucky downs is meat. While it's been good for a while, it does seem like the last couple
0: of years in particular, it wouldn't shock me if it, if it was on the upswing and, or it would be fascinating if those five-year numbers were a hundred percent corroborated by just looking at a year or two this is a fun thing about race lens and you know you got to be careful when you're doing this kind of statistical analysis because one thing you don't want to do is you know, the, the wrong way to use stats and i've been guilty of this as somebody writing about races and, and doing this for a long time which sometimes let's say i'm i used to write a lot of horse by horse analyses right so like you're doing a lot of writing and there's not always that much to say about this horse, you don't want to say for every horse, and this horse is just a little too slow to be considered to be the best of these. Like, that gets very boring very fast. So sometimes you, I, I find myself looking for a statistic to prove what I wanted to say. And that is not the right attitude because it's too flippin' easy. By using selective endpoints, by you know concentrating on a certain data set, you can kind of, you can at times, make numbers say whatever you want. Whereas Matt's approach, the approach we try to bring you on these airwaves and in print from time to time, is, is to do the opposite and look at the numbers first and see what story, if any, they tell. So anyway, I think this might be an interesting opportunity. You could probably, for a lot of things, you could probably go through these Kentucky downs numbers using selective endpoints and come up with one set of numbers that say how great they are, and another set of numbers that say stay away from them with a ten foot pole.
2: Yeah, and I kind of I just did this on the fly here, and this is again another reason why I like race lens. I can do that as you're as you're talking, Pete, you kind of parse that data a little bit a little bit more. Um, if you looked at in the middle of the last fall meet at Keeneland. Um, that win percentage jumped. So again, just, there's just six, uh, seven horses involved in this, but 25% wins. And there's a bomb in there as well. So the ROI shot to the roof at, at a plus 358%. So you can take that in a small sample. And I think that might be, you know, where folks, you see that and it's automatically, you assume it's, it's across the board. Um, so you can, you can take that kind of small sample size and pull that. But if I go back and cut that, full five years down to two years, it falls right back into the norm, kind of goes back to the mean, Pete, where it's just 10% winners in a negative 44% ROI. So it's you know, shocking to me. Yeah, it's, it's. Uh, but it, again, I, I think that's probably one of the more interesting ones that I'll pay attention to uh, just because of the the sample I've taken from comments, of that being kind of the the knee jerk reaction of this, right. these are the horses I'm gonna. Oh, no, I would have thought, thought it. I
0: would have thought it. Yes.
2: So uh, it can totally change. But listen, it, it, like you said, it can completely change. The horse as an individual means everything, right? The stats are general, um, but you know, again, it's 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 a way where I might look for other value outside of it if I feel this. If certain horses are being bet just for the fact of coming out of uh, Kentucky Downs.
0: We only have about five minutes left, Matt, and I, want, I don't want to throw you a random question that takes us down an, an alley that's not going to be as fruitful. You know, you've got the data in front of you. We, we haven't talked at all about humans. I, I don't know if any of your um, research this time around focused on, on any angles to do with humans, but basically I'm just going to let you be the bartender here and, and tell me what to drink. What, what, where should we go next?
2: Yeah, I'll, so I'll, I'll get. I'll give you. I'll give you one I thought was interesting. I'll give you a couple different, but one's negative, one positive, right? So if you look at Brad Cox um, on the turf, not necessarily you're not necessarily totally drawn to Brad Cox on the turf, but I would say as of recent you are, right? I think there's a lot of attention with Brad Cox on the turf, but if you look at you know specifically if you look at graded stakes turf routes with Brad Cox, I thought, I thought this was interesting. Um, you know, hasn't had the biggest sample size, but I looked at it over 21 starters just 5% winners and a negative 88% ROI. Jeez. So thought that was interesting. And I would say that, you know, with, with Brad having some nice horses on, on on the turf and you start to get in that graded stakes action at Keeneland specifically, I don't know, just t- t- you know, take that for what it's worth. Um, but I will say this though, if, if you get outside of graded stakes and you look at Brad Cox with a 30-day or less layoff, in turf routes, um, 33% winners with a, with a positive 31% ROI. So a positive and a negative stat there, Pete, for Brad, that jumped out uh, to me. That's fascinating also that those are both, those are both turf numbers. Yeah, they're both turf numbers. And, And I think that's interesting is that again, you can really parse that, that data to look at things as specific as you want. And, you know, I, again, I, I do I do take value in looking at certain trainers in terms of their success and graded stakes versus just the, the broader sample um, of just how competitive their horses have been as of recent. Um, as we've discussed on a trainer side, certainly that can change in, in a heartbeat. But I think the, the bigger sample you get with some of these trainers, you know, I just feel that, you know, Maybe they're just not competing well in, in certain in, in certain areas, and, and I just I felt that one jumped off the page. I was a bit surprised when I saw that that number, uh, but you combine that with his success on the turf, I think folks may take that in general and bring that into this graded stakes company, which it obviously, based on the numbers, hasn't hasn't worked out well.
0: No, oh, that's really that, that. That's a good one. We know Steve Asmussen famously had this terrible fall at Keeneland last year. Is that something that is well? And I didn't prep you for this. And I'm not sure how well you could do it on the fly. But was that? I mean, obviously that was a huge aberration. This is one of the most successful trainers of all time. But were there were there any indications ahead heading into last meet at Keeneland? Had Asmussen historically struggled at at, at Keeneland or at Keeneland fall? um, Have you done any work on that? Is is there anything we could do on the fly if not?
2: That I don't have specifically, but I am making a note here, Pete. What I, what I can do is I can throw that number out uh, when when we're done as a follow up to, uh, to that. Yeah, window.
0: Twitter would be a good would be a good place for it because I think that's going to be particularly interesting heading into the Breeders' Cup, right? With him certainly having a, a very strong hand at this year's event, and you know, just if we know last year didn't work out so well, but it was again how much of a how much was a flu- of a fluke was that? Is that something that we we're going to want to factor in? to our wagering at the, at this Keeneland fall meet and beyond, but that's a great idea. We'll put a pin in that. We'll yep. keep the conversation going on social media.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And one quick thing uh, is, is Drew headed to, to Keeneland? Do you know,
0: I would assume that he is, I would assume that uh, he and his new agent would, would target that. meet. it would seem strange to be, to be leaving a place. He's had so much success. What, uh, why do you ask?
2: I just look at it from uh, from the last meet, Pete, uh, on, in turf routes, his numbers jumped off the page for me, 46% winners in turf routes at Keeneland uh, with a nice uh, 76% ROI there. So just wanted to throw that out. That was a little bit, uh, I would say slightly unexpected to see those numbers that high.
0: Yeah, that's very, very good. All right. Great stuff, Matt. If you see anything else, feel free to send it out there. We'll have you on as well to talk about Keeneland and we'll do some racing during the meet. We're covering Keeneland every day. So we've got loads of extra coverage. So there'll be lots of opportunities for folks to get more stuff. We can put some of these stats in action when we get Matt back. Appreciate your time today, buddy. And well, let's do it again tomorrow. We're going to do it. I can't remember if I mentioned this. We're going to do it as a live stream. So you'll you can find that on YouTube. It'll also be archived as a pod, like usual. But if you want to join us live tomorrow, 11 a.m., we'll have the scratches. We'll do this uh, carryover show. I look forward to seeing you then.
2: Sounds good, Pete. Looking forward to uh, the the live show tomorrow and, and, and doing this today. And uh, also to check out uh, my conversation with uh, with Spencer on Redboard Rewind. I had a nice chat last night. So you got me working hard here, Pete. You know, I'm trying to do <laughs> as much as I can for you.
0: You're, you're almost doing as many shows as me and that's saying something, but that's a great <laughs> plug for Redboard Rewind. I'll definitely check that out and hear what you guys had to say about that uh, fun weekend of racing last weekend. That's going to do it for this edition of the show. We'll thank Matt. Vagvolje and Mike Maloney, our friends at Keeneland and Keeneland Select. Really appreciate having them back in the on the board here on the sponsorship side. Most of all, though, I want to thank all you, the listeners, for making these shows so much fun to do. We've had a lot of requests for meat preview type content like this, and we hope you enjoyed it. Uh, great time to sign up for In the Money Plus. You get all our Keeneland coverage, all our extra Santa Anita coverage, as well as the Breeders' Cup, just for one month. 15 bucks. I don't think you will be regretting that based on the numbers of people who uh, keep going once they get the In The Money Plus service. So you're going to want to check that out, inthemoneypodcast.com slash plus. This show has been a production of In The Money Media. Our business manager is Drew Coatney. Our chief creative officer is Jonathan Kinship. I'm Peter Thomas Fornatal. May you win all your photos.